0: section fourteen of a history of our own times volume one by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six question de jupon part two in the country the incident created great excitement some liberals bluntly insisted that it was not right in such a matter to consult the feelings of the sovereign at all and that the advice of the minister and his idea of what was for the good of the country ought alone to be considered on the other hand o'connell burst into impassioned language of praise and delight as he dwelt upon the decision of the queen and called upon the powers above to bless the young creature that creature of only nineteen as pure as she is exalted who consulted not her head but the overflowing feelings of her young heart. Those excellent women who had been so long attached to her, who had nursed and tended to her wants in her childhood, who had watched over her in her sickness, whose eyes beamed with delight as they saw her increasing daily in beauty and in loveliness, when they were threatened to be forced away from her, her heart told her that she could as well part with that heart itself as with those whom it held so dear fergus o'connor went a good deal further however when he boldly declared that he had excellent authority for the statement that if the tories had got the young queen into their hands by the agency of the new ladies of the bedchamber they had a plan for putting her out of the way and placing the bloody cumberland on the throne in her stead in o'connell's case no mystery was made of the fact that he believed the ladies actually surrounding the young queen to be friendly to what he considered the cause of ireland and that he was satisfied peel and the tories were against it for the wild talk represented by the words of fergus o'connor it is only necessary to say that frenzied and foolish as it must seem to us now and as it must even then have seemed to all rational beings it had the firm acceptance of large masses of people throughout the country who persisted in seeing in peel's pleadings for the change of the bedchamber women the positive evidence of an unscrupulous tory plot to get possession of the queen's person not for the purpose of violently altering the succession but in the hope of poisoning her mind against all liberal opinions lord brougham was not likely to lose so good an opportunity of attacking lord melbourne and his colleagues he insisted that lord melbourne had sacrificed liberal principles and the interests of the country to the private feelings of the sovereign i thought he declared in a burst of eloquent passion that we belonged to a country in which the government by the crown and the wisdom of parliament was everything and the personal feelings of the sovereign were absolutely not to be named at the same time i little thought to have lived to hear it said by the whigs of eighteen thirty nine let us rally round the queen never mind the house of commons never mind measures throw principles to the dogs leave pledges unredeemed but for god's sake rally round the throne little did i think the day would come when i should hear such language not from the unconstitutional place-hunting king-loving tories who thought the public was made for the king not the king for the public but from the whigs themselves. The Jamaica bill, said to be a most important measure, had been brought forward. The government staked their existence upon it. They were not able to carry it. They therefore conceived they had lost the confidence of the House of Commons. They thought it a measure of paramount necessity then. Is it less necessary now? Oh, but that is altered. The Jamaican question is to be new-fashioned. Principles are to be given up and all because of two ladies of the bedchamber nothing could be more undesirable than the position in which lord melbourne and his colleagues had allowed the sovereign to place herself the more people in general came to think over the matter the more clearly it was seen that peel was in the right although he had not made himself understood at first and had perhaps not shown all through enough of consideration for the novelty of the young sovereign's position or for the difficulty of finding a conclusive precedent on such a question, seeing that since the principle of ministerial responsibility had come to be recognized among us in its genuine sense, there never before had been a woman on the throne. But no one could deliberately maintain the position at first taken by the Whigs, and in point of fact they were soon glad to drop it as quickly and quietly as possible. The whole question, it may be said at once, was afterwards settled by a sensible compromise which the prince consort suggested it was agreed that on a change of ministry the queen would listen to any representation from the incoming prime minister as to the composition of her household and would arrange for the retirement of their own accord of any ladies who were so closely related to the leaders of opposition as to render their presence inconvenient The Whigs came back to office utterly discredited. They had to tinker up somehow a new Jamaica bill. They had declared that they could not remain in office unless they were allowed to deal in a certain way with Jamaica, and now they were back again in office, they could not avoid trying to do something with the Jamaica business. They therefore introduced a new bill which was a mere compromise, put together in the hope of its being allowed to pass. It was allowed to pass, after a fashion, that is, when the opposition in the house of lords had tinkered it and amended it at their pleasure the bedchamber question in fact had thrown jamaica out of perspective the unfortunate island must do the best it could now in this country statesmen had graver matter to think of sir robert peel could not govern with lady normanby the whigs would not govern without her it does not seem by any means clear however that lord melbourne and his colleagues deserved the savage censure of lord brougham merely for having returned to office and given up their original position with regard to the jamaica bill what else remained to be done if they had refused to come back the only result would have been that peel must have become prime minister with a distinct minority in the house of commons peel could not have held his ground there except by the favour and mercy of his opponents and those were not merciful days in politics he would only have taken office to be called upon at once to resign it by some adverse vote of the house of commons the state of things seems in this respect to be not unlike that which existed when mr gladstone was defeated on the irish university bill in eighteen seventy three mr gladstone resigned or rather tendered his resignation and by his advice her majesty invited mr disraeli to form a cabinet mr disraeli did not see his way to undertake the government of the country with the existing house of commons and as the conditions under which he was willing to undertake the duty were not conveniently attainable the negotiation came to an end the queen sent again for mr gladstone who consented to resume his place as prime minister if lord melbourne returned to office with the knowledge that he could not carry the jamaica bill which he had declared to be necessary mr gladstone resumed his place at the head of his ministry without the remotest hope of being able to carry his irish university measure no one ever found fault with mr gladstone for having under the circumstances done the best he could and consented to meet the request of the sovereign and the convenience of the public service by again taking on himself the responsibility of government although the measure on which he had declared he would stake the existence of his ministry had been rejected by the house of commons still it cannot be denied that the melbourne government were prejudiced in the public mind by these events and by the attacks for which they gave so large an opportunity the feeling in some parts of the country was still sentimentally with the queen at many a dinner-table it became the fashion to drink the health of her majesty with a punning addition not belonging to an order of wit any higher than that which in other days toasted the king over the water or prayed of heaven to send his crumb well down the queen was toasted as the sovereign of spirit who would not let her bells be pealed But the ministry was almost universally believed to have placed themselves in a ridiculous light and to have crept again into office as an able writer puts it behind the petticoats of the ladies-in-waiting the death of lady flora hastings which occurred almost immediately tended further to arouse a feeling of dislike to the whigs this melancholy event does not need any lengthened comment a young lady who belonged to the household of the duchess of kent fell under an unfounded but in circumstances not wholly unreasonable suspicion it was the classic story of callisto diana's unhappy nymph reversed lady flora was proved to be innocent but her death imminent probably in any case from the disease which had fastened on her was doubtless hastened by the humiliation to which she had been subjected it does not seem that any one was to blame in the matter The ministries certainly do not appear to have done anything for which they could fairly be reproached. No one can be surprised that those who surrounded the Queen and the Duchess of Kent should have taken some pains to inquire into the truth or falsehood of scandalous rumours, for which there might have appeared to be some obvious justification. But the whole story was so sad and shocking. The death of the poor young lady followed with such tragic rapidity upon the establishment of her innocence the natural complaints of her mother were so loud and impassioned that the ministers who had to answer the mother's appeals were unavoidably placed in an invidious and a painful position the demands of the marchioness of hastings for redress were unreasonable they endeavoured to make out the existence of a cruel conspiracy against lady flora and called for the peremptory dismissal and disgrace of the eminent court physician who had merely performed a most painful duty and whose report had been the especial means of establishing the injustice of the suspicions which were directed against her but it was a damaging duty for a minister to have to write to the distracted mother as lord melbourne found it necessary to do telling her that her demand was so unprecedented and objectionable that even the respect due to her ladyship's sex rank family and character would not justify me in more if indeed it authorizes so much, and acknowledging that letter for the sole purpose of acquainting your ladyship that I have received it. The palace scandal, as it was called, became known shortly before the dispute about the ladies of the bedchamber. The death of Lady Flora Hastings happened soon after it. It is not strictly in logical propriety that such events, or their rapid succession, should bring into disrepute the ministry who can only be regarded as their historical contemporaries but the world must change a great deal before ministers are no longer held accountable in public opinion for anything but the events over which they can be shown to have some control End of section fourteen